Being Black in America comes with its challenges. However, we understand that enlightenment through education is the oppressor's worst fear. By bridging the gap between academia and the people, our purpose is to equip you with knowledge that breaks down barriers during your journey towards truth and freedom. Welcome to the Black and Highly Dangerous Podcast. Yo, Daph, what's going on? What's going on? Uh, nothing much. Just, you know, trying to work. Um, the last week I was drowning in data time. I'm just like up to my neck, like, yo, maybe I should like just take an extra year or something. Like that's how bad it was. Um, and John had to throw me a life raft. He was like, I don't know why you're trying to like transcribe all these things. I don't know why you're trying to like do it. Like just even if you just do a sample or like a subset, just just get some of them transcribed to like put you ahead of the game. And so I, I took up took him up on that offer because <laughs> it was bad. It was bad. I was like spending like all day just like uh, because I use this website that does like automated transcription but it's really messy it's like mm. it's just like words on a page there's no structure to it so you're like going through it has mistakes and so mm-hmm. I just I wasn't able to like write and I wasn't able to have any like work-life balance because it was just like I have to get this done so yeah I feel way better <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Leave that life raft. But yeah, you know, it's, I mean, you do have a lot of data, so it's probably just best to just try to pace yourself in a way yeah. that's reasonable where you can keep that work-life balance. Like, all right, I'm going to, you know, just work on one a day, two a day or for a certain amount of hours. And then after that, call it a quits. Like, all right, I'm done for the day. Mission accomplished. And that's Feel exactly, it. I did enough to where I could do two a day. And still be able to read, still be able to write, still be able to do the other things I wanted to do. Because I was having to do three or four a day in order to, like, meet my milestones. So I put myself at two a day now. And I should be good. Yeah, yeah. Just pace yourself. You know, the data ain't going nowhere. Uh, that's cool though. That's good. That's good. Got a good husband. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, man. I saw that. I saw that post that you put on Facebook having him go grocery shopping though. Oh yeah. You should have <laughs> asked me what I wanted. Okay, so for our listeners, uh, John texted me and was like, uh, at the store, you know, what, you know, do you want anything? And so I build my grocery list over the course of a week. So if I notice something missing, I just add it to the list. So as soon as he sent that, I like took a screenshot of the list and like sent them. It was like, here, since you're there. Um, but you know, women, we like things the way we like them. So I had other instructions like for the butter. I'm like, like get the eight mini sticks instead of the four large sticks. Like the meat needs to be grass fed. The, these are the peppers I usually put. And it's just like a string of texts that I kind of like sent him. And he was just like, I honestly thought that you were going to say sparkling water or something more simple. <laughs> and I was like, I literally said, that's what you get for asking. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> He said he will ask again, but I was like, he's not going to ask me. Yeah, he's probably, like, no, yo, he probably going to be specific, like, yo, you need any water or anything while I'm out? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not going to leave it still open. <laughs> 
funny, yeah. but I feel the pain. Sometimes when I'm at the store or I got to go do some grocery stop shopping for Kristen's list, it is just always a little bit way more complicated than, than my list. And a lot of times I just get frustrated because I'll be in the store like looking for all these like specific things. I'm like, sheesh, man, I don't even know where this stuff is at. I ain't even never heard of this before. <laughs> and I can guarantee you she know the exact spot. Oh, yeah. The yeah, exact she know. spot. I'm like, oh, man, okay, all right. Well, that's funny. Um, but uh, this week, yeah, all I've been doing is just, you know, kind of cleaning up, you know, some like, you know, like sometimes you got to take the time to do some real deep cleaning, mm-hmm. you know, get just go through old stuff and papers and and, 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 and the nooks and crannies of everything and, and try to reorganize stuff. Um, so that's what we've been doing for a good portion of this week. Oh, that's good. Um, that's yeah. good. Yeah, t- taking a, taking a, a, a page out of uh, Marie Kondo's book. All right. <laughs> uh, sometimes I hold on to stuff. So like how she's really like, okay, hold on to it. See like what it, how you feel about it. Something that that means something to you. If it doesn't, say thank you and, and let it go. Wow. <laughs> so I've been doing a lot of that, trying to let stuff go. You know, not that I, you know, some things I, I, I thought was sentimental and I look at them like, ah, oh, no, this can go in the trash. Yeah, that that's very difficult for me. So I kind of did the same thing, at least at my mom's house. Uh, remember, I took oh, that yeah, picture. Yeah. And what I did was I took pictures. It was like, if I have this picture, I can let it go. Mm, okay, okay. So, yeah, that was a little strategy I used. That's cool. I, that's a good strategy, too. I did keep a few things, but I was like, the picture is the memory enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. All right, well, we got some uh, old Lord news ready to go. Yes, we do. All right, let's get into it. Hello, and welcome to BHD News, where we give you the most current and eye opening old Lord news of the week. Join us as we present news that'll make you want to say. Okay, so I am sure that you heard about the Bluebell liquor. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And we're not talking about alcohol, people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, liquor, not liquor. Uh, well, so, you know, the internet was in an uproar over the past week because of a viral video where a woman uh, is seen licking a tub of Bluebell ice cream and putting it back in the freezer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, she even posted on social media like, oh, I was sick last week. So uh, you can uh, get served some flu bell ice cream. So she was oh, on the Internet. I hear that one. That's why. Yeah. Like it, if search the Internet, you'll see screenshots. She said flu bell ice cream because she had been sick. No remorse at all. Well, uh she has been identified after a, you know, nationwide search to figure out yeah. who this person was because everybody was so outraged. And come to find out, it was actually a juvenile. She was a teenager. She, yeah. I think she looked a little bit older. Than, she did. Uh, I thought this was like a grown, grown woman. Age. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's still nasty. It's oh, still, yeah. you know, she still deserves some consequences. But when I found out she was a juvenile, like so young that they didn't even release her name, um, I was just like, okay, a teen doing something stupid, but I, she doesn't need to be punished. But police have identified her uh, and they are looking at charges. They've turned her name over or they're about to turn the case over to the Texas Juvenile Justice Department. Yeah, she'll she'll, you know, probably be on some community service, you know, something light. But um, but that was wild, like that whole story of, you know, bluebells came out like, listen, y'all, we have the cops, we are searching for this person. <laughs> Everybody like, yes, please find her. Oh man, people, all these memes are funny. They have people buying their ice cream now, going to the ice cream all the way in the back. Stores locking up their ice cream, talking about you know, come come to the front if you like to open it up, like how they do other stuff. I'm like, oh, that is too funny. Yeah, yeah she, she just, was wilding on that one. They just need to put the protective film over it. How about that? Yes, yes, yes. I was like, that that was nasty, though. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess teenagers be teenagers, but I did not think she was a teenager. Yeah. I think because she had like piercings and stuff. Yeah, she, she had piercings older. and like, yeah, it, it yeah. was a lot. Well. Okay, well, for this next story, this is interesting so a spirit uh a woman posted a story she took a flight on spirit airlines that was her first mistake but okay (laughs) Um, once i heard it was spirit i said oh no here we go yeah she took a flight on spirit airlines of course she paid for her seat but when she walked up to sit down a russian woman literally refused to let her sit down Mm-mm-mm. and the flight attendants could not defuse the situation and they ended up I guess the passengers rallied around the woman and agreed to switch seats with her and of course the woman let a white woman sit by her that is wild or white passenger I don't know if it was a man or a woman that is wild yeah, yeah. but for me I feel like Spirit Airlines kind of dropped the ball on this it shouldn't be on this passenger to find find another place to sit like if if you cannot fly in a non-discriminatory way then ma'am maybe you need to find another flight because you can't guarantee that there's not going to be someone of a different race sitting beside you yeah yeah and no, i see that that like first of all the black woman shouldn't have been been moving you know it should they should have told the what the woman like listen you're gonna have to you're going to have to leave or buy another ticket or move. But, um, you know, that you can't do It's Like, I'm pretty sure it's anti-discriminatory practices and stuff, all these kind of policies. I don't know how you let something like that slide. Um, but that's wild because I would not be moving. Yeah, I would have on principle. It's not even that I would have wanted to sit by her, but it was just yeah. on principle. Like, this is my seat. I pay for it. You can mm-hmm. leave. You can move. And, I, and I'll be doing the, you know, the blackest things, lasting you know? <laughs> <laughs> music, <laughs> laughing loud, doing whatever. It's the piss off even more that whole play ride. <laughs> Black Panther on my own. Exactly. <laughs> on, on the tablet. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Be too funny. Okay. So this story right here, it's a little bit outrageous. So in... I think it was in New Jersey. Prosecutors brought a case before a judge where a 16-year-old boy uh, raped a girl who was uh, visibly intoxicated. He actually recorded it. 
Uh, her speech was slurring. She was kind of, she was face down, kind of like almost passed out. Uh, and, you know, he decided to rape her and record oh, wow. it. He even sent that video to his friends and said, when your first, when your first time having sex is rape. Jeez, so man. he even labeled it as rape. Goodness gracious. Well, the judge admonished the prosecutors for bringing the case and said that it was not rape. He wondered aloud if it was sexual assault, defining rape as something re reserved for an attack at gunpoint by a stranger. He also said the young man came from a good family, attended a good school, had terrific grades, and was an Eagle Scout. Prosecutor said that the judge explained uh, the judge said the prosecutor should have explained to the girl and her family that pressing charges would destroy the boy's life. Mm, 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 mm. Yes. Um, and he de he denied prosecutor's motion to try the 16-year-old as an adult um, and by saying he's clearly a good candidate for not just for college, but probably for a good college. Um, yeah. And then he just kind of went on about how, because the boy was from a good family, went to a good school, you know, was potentially going to go to a good college that they should not destroy his life. Although he recorded That's himself wild. raping the girl. That is like, that is, there's no, oh my gosh, man, this privilege is ridiculous. Yeah. Cause there's no way around that. You record it, you admit to doing it, you know, it's wrong. Uh, but because you can go to college, we're going to dismiss this. Like that is crazy. And what about the victim, man? Mm -hmm. Just watching that happen. Like no justice <gasps> being served. Cause you're nonsense. Like that's crazy. Mm hmm. Uh, and that happened. This was like the second case that had happened like that, not with this particular judge, but with another judge uh, who reversed a decision not to try a 16 year old as an adult after he was accused of sexually assault, assaulting a 12 year old. And the judge said beyond losing her virginity, the state did not find claim that the victim suffered any further injuries, either physical, mental or emotional. Wow. Wow. These, these, they are wild. This is, you can't, this is just no words. This leaves me speechless at the moment because that's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. But, you know, that's kind of scary. We think about the, uh, the, I think California swimmer like Brock Turner, you yeah, know, how he got off so easily. I just don't know why the criminal justice system or at least, you know, select judges rape, even when there's so much proof. It's, it's so hard to get justice for that crime. And, and and most of the time, I think it's because, you know, we have here stories, because, you know, if it was like a black 15-year-old, 16-year-old, they are always viewed and treated as adults. They're, you know, whatever their crimes or whatever they're being charged with. But I think it just boils down to these, these white male judges mm -hmm. see these white male teenagers and see themselves... Males. And then can be like, oh, you know, they're a kid, is a teenager, and that's a part of the issue, you know. And then when they see these black teenagers, like, oh, nah, this is a man, this is messed up, whatever they did, especially if it's against a white woman. Mm -hmm. um, so I think a lot of it, that a lot of that just has to be fixed. We're just like, I don't know, there has to be some kind of more bias training or 
oversight or I don't know because that's just getting ridiculous. And I think that's why we see so many of these white males getting away with it because mm-hmm. they're getting judged by their own in a way. Okay. And for a little tea, when we think about people like Brett, uh, Brett Kavanaugh, not only do they see themselves, they may have made potentially, mm-hmm. uh, allegedly, allegedly, we're not trying mm-hmm. to include, allegedly those same mistakes. Or mm-hmm. not even mistakes, those same crimes when they yes. were younger. Uh, so it's just kind of like, you know, not only do they see like, oh, this was a, you know, we share the same identity. We may have shared some of the same actions. And I, mm-hmm. I, I see what I could be because I wasn't, you know, caught, you know. Yeah. So hey. mm-hmm. oh, I could be a Supreme Court justice. So <laughs> you let him go to college and, you know, he could be the next president. Who knows? Like, Oh, man. Okay. This this last little story is kind of funny, and I see. I want to see what you think about it. So, six Arizona police officers hmm, were at a Starbucks enjoying coffee before they went to work, and a Starbucks employee came up to them and told them that they had to either move or leave because us. one another customer was uncomfortable by their presence. So they either needed to move out of the line of sight of that customer or leave the Starbucks. What do you think about that? Yeah, that's yeah, like I mean it's crazy. <laughs> but they got they got kicked out. And and so what I'm hearing now is that people are protesting Starbucks because of this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know. I feel like, you know, they would I don't know. That's kind of wild. I don't know how I would feel. Cause like, I don't know. I don't know. I know it's a lot going on with police, but you know, they were customers. It's a slip. I feel like that could be a slippery slope. Like, cause somebody said they're uncomfortable by my presence. Tell me to leave. And they kick them out. (laughs) I need to move or leave. So it's just kind of like, you know, I, I'm not going to be on a protest lines, but I'm just like, "Mm, I don't know. I don't know about that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if they just there to buy coffee and not mess with nobody, they shouldn't have been asked to leave, point blank, period. Um, but I guess, you know, the popo do make people uncomfortable, though. Yeah. Especially Arizona, I could imagine. Yeah, it's funny. I, you know, you be in a car, you see a police car, you tense up like, oh, oh. I just I just saw this, uh, like, tweet where a guy said uh, the police drove up behind him. He accidentally threw his phone out the window. You know how you might have, you know you might have your phone in your hand. You, you yeah. throw it in the, he threw it the wrong way. <laughs> Oh my god! You know that's a, I asked that question to my students too because I forgot there was some kind of study or something I read about like police in other countries, like European countries and stuff, and how people like citizens feel about police, and it's they don't have that kind of like oh police officers here I'm mad. I'm like nervous like I'm about to get caught doing something wrong how we tense up. Mm-hmm. It's- kind of vibes and so you know then I ask my students to raise their hands and if you see a, a police officer behind you you get anxious you get nervous and like everybody raise their hand I'm like you know there's something kind of wrong with that you know because they're supposed to be there to protect us but it's like we always feel like they're always out to kind of get us in a way you know and, and I don't think we should always feel like nervous like that when we see a police officer but I think you know for the most part that's, that's how most of us feel yeah it is even when you're not doing anything wrong exactly. it's like they're going to find something. And uh-huh. that is that fear. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. Um, but okay. All right. Um, so you got a lot to talk about today, I think, um, like across the board mm-hmm. from, from politics to sports to media. So what, what do you want to start with first? Uh, 
I think let's I guess let's start with kind of the politics and then get into the other things after this. Yeah, I was about to say maybe yeah. start heavy and then go. Yeah. Like <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to end on a heavy note. Uh but so let's start with the politics. As you know, we discussed the debates um last week and of course it will be probably having this a part of our conversations almost every week, especially with debate season starting and all these things going on. Um, but as we know, with the last debates, you know, Kamala Harris, Senator Kamala Harris had pretty much, you know, pinpointed and had a significant attack, if you will, against Joe Biden mm-hmm. during the debate, mm-hmm. talking about his busing. And so since then, there has been kind of back and forth. And I got, you know, first, I just kind of, we can start with like Joe Biden's reaction, because I think he was on um, CNN. Yeah. Uh, was talking with you and Jill. You said you were expecting to have a target on your back, but the intensity of some of it. Did you see the questions about your past positions from the perspective of race being as relevant as they are? No, and I don't think they're relevant because they're taken out of context. What I didn't see is people who know me. I mean, they know me well. Uh, (laughs) It's not like uh, it's somebody just came out of the blue, didn't know anything, but it's so easy to go back and go back 30, 40, 50 years and take a context and take it completely out of context. And I mean, you know, I, I get all this information about other people's past and what they've done and not done. And, you know, I'm just not going to go there. If we keep doing that, that's, I mean, what we should be debating, what we do from here. For example, this whole thing about race and busing. Well, you know, I think if you take a look, our positions aren't any different as we're finding out. Um, with Senator Harris, who yeah. said she sees it as a tool, not a must in all circumstances. Yeah, well, <laughs> look at my record. But and, actually, I don't think busing is about policy, Mr. Vice no, President. No, it's not. I think it was about principle. When you look back at your record on it, you were not in favor of busing. It was a different time. There were different applications. Why not just own it well, and say, way, here's the thing, I was here's, against it, but no, now I've changed. I was, I was in favor of busing that was de jure busing. That is, if it, a court ruled that there was a... The law passed or circumstance that a, a county, a city, a state did that prevented black folks from being somewhere, then that's wrong. You should bus. I even went so far in the middle of that busing controversy was saying I use helicopters if that was necessary to make the point. And we really got in a town meeting that was got very hot. But what the issue is now is, for example, and it was then voluntary busing. We supported it. Mm. We supported it then. And by the way, Barack and I, as president and vice president, we provided money for voluntary busing if cities want to do it. I'm not questioning any of that. No, I'm no. saying that when you look back in the 70s, you said, I think busing doesn't work. It's an asinine concept. Well, by the way. You tried to pass bills that weren't for it. Busing did not work. You had overwhelming response from the, the African-American community in my state. My state is the eighth largest black population in the country as a percent of population. They, were, they did not support it. They did not support it. Look. The question is, how do you equalize education in every area? Uh, and and it was just, I don't know, it was just funny to me. Um, I, I, I kind of found it comical, his reaction to it, you know, saying that he wasn't prepared, he wasn't prepared. And, that, you know, <laughs> and that he she would attack him this way and she knows me and my family and, and my son and all this other kind of stuff and just wasn't expecting that. From, I'm like, he really went on there and was playing like the victim. You know, yeah. In this situation, how you feel? I feel like he took for granted that this is a, it's a race. Uh, people are trying to get ahead, and yeah, although you know he's a front row, row uh, 
front runner and he is like polling ahead of people like don't expect people to do you any courtesies or just hand you the nomination uh so it's kind of like you being unprepared clearly we all saw it uh Mm -hmm. get your act together because nobody's gonna hand it to you People want this office. And if you really want it, you need to act like you want it too by actually being prepared and having some comebacks because it's a lot. Um, you know, he could have said, but you know, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially especially Senator Harris, um, that he would just so shocked, at least, you know, deflect, if you will. But uh, I think um and it's interesting because this is nothing new. This is a big, a big like criticism of his past. So it's just even more strange that he didn't even have, you know, a, a, a comeback to that mm. or or some some like he was just caught off guard. But, you know, that's a major flaw, which you've been attacked before on. Um, so how are you not prepared for that? That's very that's kind of worrisome. You know, it seems like I said, and I mentioned this last podcast, I did feel like Sanders and Biden were a little because they are the front words were a little maybe not cocky, but, you know, knew they were the top. And I don't think they did as much work as probably as the other ones. Mm-hmm. Um Mm-hmm. And I bet, I doubt we'll see that happening again, but maybe we will. We'll see. Maybe we will. Who knows? But see, what I found interesting is that, and this is this is something we noticed right after the debate, uh, a little flip-flopping on Kamala Harris's end, because mm-hmm. we saw the flip-flopping with the Medicare for All. Yeah, I don't know. She's if, like, I'd heard it. I misheard it. Yeah, misheard. Um, but people have like said that like she's done that on other issues. And what was interesting, you know, because she opened that can of worms uh, when she was in uh, Des Moines, Iowa, reporters actually asked her about her position on like federally mandated like busing and I guess desegregation efforts. And she was like, I think bus, I think of busing as a tool uh as a as something being in a toolbox of what is available and what can be used as a goal for desegregating America schools. Cause you know, when we when we really think about it, schools are just as segregated as they were, mm-hmm. you know, during mm-hmm. her time. So it's like this issue has not been solved. But when they pressed her on whether, you know, she believed in federally mandated busing. She said, I believe that any tool that is in the toolbox should be considered by a school district. Mm-hmm. That's exactly mm-hmm. what Biden said. But like she tore him up over and what he received a lot of criticism about after the fact that like, oh, this is something that should be handled locally. Well, she just said the same thing. So like, what was your whole point? Yep. Yeah, he did say that. He did mention that in his little CNN interview. He was like, he's like, I'm just surprised because, you know, Senator Harris has we have this we see eye to eye on this issue. You know, and I'm like, that's something you should have also brought up while you were on stage <laughs> uh, instead of being so ill prepared instead of later on where, you know, you have far fewer people paying attention to these little interviews. Uh, yeah. But you're but right. I wonder, did he know that? Because I know that that Probably was a not. recent interview that mm-hmm. she did. But it's just kind of like that. It kind of struck me because segregation, a study school, segregation is still the issue. Like, and it's so much like concentrated poverty in school. We need solutions. So even if she didn't believe in busing, which is, you know, a really outdated concept anyway, mm-hmm. what, are, what, what's your solution? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like be able mm-hmm. to hit back with something else. So, you know, she kind of failed on that end to me. Like don't open up that can of worms if you haven't actually thought through your own position on it. And if your position is the exact same position as the one you're like 
pissed at or, you know, she wasn't pissed at him, but that, you know, you're coming at, then mm, you're going to look real funny in a light, at least to me, so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And for, again, we should have mentioned this earlier, for those of you who are not familiar, busing was when they pretty much, it was in, it started in the 50s, right? In 50s, yeah, 60s. Yeah, um, uh, the 60s, yeah. And where they were pretty much bus uh, to, to for integration would bus black kids into these white school districts and schools and stuff like that um, during this time period. And so it was one of the ways to, uh, especially the federal government, to kind of promote integration. Um, of course, there was a lot of pushback from both Democrats and Republicans on this issue because a lot of white parents were being upset because now you have black kids coming into their schools, which they naturally did not like, right, during that time period. Um, and even in his interview with CNN, he was trying to throw that in there, kind of like uh, it was out of context because of this time period when I was making these decisions and what the, the kind of the climate was during this. still doesn't make it right, you know, yeah. Biden, <laughs> uh, because a lot of white folks or your constituents were upset about this doesn't make it right. Um, but he was like trying to like, oh, remember the time where I was when I was talking about this. Right. It's different than it was today. But like you said, it's really not much different. And schools are just as segregated as they were back then. Um, so that that's not even a good uh, counterpoint as well. So what's interesting is, I don't know if he said it in the interview, but at least um, in a tweet, because Kamala's team got into a Twitter fight with Biden's team. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. And uh, they brought up a, uh, like some quotes that like Biden had said to where he was like, you know, uh, you know, black parents or, or black uh, people were actually, you know, against it too. And one quote they said that Biden said is, who the hell do we think we are that the only way a black man or woman can learn is if they rub shoulders with my white child. And mm-hmm. so, you know, just to provide some historical context, like it wasn't. And so some people, the way I read that quote is, there's nothing inherently magical about white people that would suddenly make sitting next to one in school an inherently better educational experience, or at least it shouldn't be. And when we think about the goal of Brown v. Board of Education, it was to get African-American students the resources they need. Uh the rationale behind some of like the argument or the case was that if if white students are in a school, there's no way that their community, their parents, the government will underfund them. That was kind of like some of the rationale behind wanting to integrate schools. But black people did not want to be bused and have their schools closed because that's mm-hmm. what actually happened. Yeah. We lost some really important and historical institutions when uh, desegregation and busing happened, mm-hmm. uh, schools that have been around for a very long time, you know, black teachers, they often lost their jobs because, no, the black students were put into white schools and, you know, sometimes the teachers couldn't follow suit. And so busing or desegregation wasn't a two-way street. It wasn't like white students were also going into black schools, which is what black people wanted. It just ended up being like shipping black people out of their neighborhoods and closing 
their most prized institutions. So he is, he was right. You know, black people weren't, but they met for different reasons than white people were against. Yeah, yeah, that's, right. <laughs> that's for sure. And I mean, it's, it's the same, you know, it's the context when even when we, we talked about uh, to Professor James Foreman Jr., right? Like, um, and how black folks were supportive of certain policies and stuff. It was it was always a different perspective as to why not usually not eye to eye how well white folks then like these policies or supported these policies. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, no good. I'm glad you brought that up. And um, talking about Kamala too, you see her new policy rollout. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So all the candidates were, uh, or a lot of the candidates were at Essence Vest, mm-hmm. um, trying to get that black vote. <laughs> yes. Which I'm like, if y'all never been to Essence Vest before, don't, don't be trying to go there now, you know. Um, but she, I don't, I'm not sure if she's ever been. I'm just saying in general. Yeah. So you know what? Bef- before we talk about her policy, I, I was kind of grappling with this question last night because I, I kind of wrote in my notes, pandering at Essence Fest. <laughs> but... It's kind of like, oh, oh, in one instance, we'll say, you know, we want them talking to us. We want them talking about our issues. Mm-hmm. But I won't lie. As soon as they do something like go to Essence Fest, I'll be like, look, them pandering. Yeah. So it's kind of like, mm, it's, I think I think it should be done outside of the major events. You know, okay. Okay. I think it should be smaller things, you know, kind of like, I don't know. You know, there's local communities that put on all kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. it's like, if you go there, you're also helping that community shed light on one of their events, you know, yeah. maybe it's a black event or a pride event. Uh, but I do feel like it's pretty easy when you are going to a pride march and you're dancing with your rainbow shirt in front of everybody. You're getting a lot of exposure. You're going to Essence Fest, which all the black people talk about and go to a lot of exposure. Um, and so it's just it's, it's a little easy. Right. I feel like if you're really trying to put in that work. Mm-hmm. Don't say don't do it at all, but go to the the, the harder places or, or you're actually helping businesses grow because you're showing up there, you know, or little festivals and events where there are tons of. Um, so I think I think we can be fair in our critique. Right. Yes, we want them to do it, but I don't think that's the only way to do it. So it is kind of par- par- uh, pandering a little bit. OK. Yeah, I, I had to think about that because I'm like, hmm. but yeah, you're right. I think in um, more authentic mm-hmm experiences that seem more grassroots than like a look at me yes so yeah so so, I mean that's why I've been wrestling with it too I mean now something like I said if Harris always has gone or made it a trip then it's not you know I don't know the history of and then it's like okay it's something you've always supported and been a part of but something you rarely attended you're just going because that's where the black people are or the pride events have you been to a lot of pride marches before not sure but it's like you know you are definitely you taking advantage of of this to get more exposure again which is politics you know it's not like a crazy terrible thing that they're doing but uh, i think you can question a little bit for sure well i do i can say for sure i'm pretty sure the white candidates haven't been there (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) but that's for sure so i think kamala could get a little get away for a little bit but definitely the white candidates probably never been to ss fest pretty yeah I i would like for them you know how some people like little um like instagram or like you know um people that like do like street interviews and stuff and ask some questions i wish they would have kind of did that with some of their candidates like yeah like, what artists are you going to see you know what kind of music listen what's their favorite album just to get a vibe like you really oh that would have tripped some people up. <laughs> yeah. like oh kind of like why are you really here there has to be something here you like right if you are enjoying essence fest what do you appreciate about it who are you yeah. here to see like um that would have been cool 
yeah. but yeah, so Kamala did unveil uh, this new kind of um, hundred billion dollar black house home ownership plan um, while she was at Essence Fest mm-hmm. to kind of essentially counteract redlining um, and some discriminatory housing practices against low income and, and minority communities. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think uh, it's good. I do feel like there are already programs like I don't know if you ever heard like NACA and other programs. Um, I believe so. That yeah. already do exactly what she's proposing, um, where they kind of programs like NACA essentially because of the subprime mortgage lending scandal, all that stuff, sued a bunch of banks have and now the, instead of the banks, you know, having to, you know, lose a lot of money they've all committed billions of dollars a year to pretty much give like the best mortgages a person can buy and it's they literally only give it to and target to low income black income uh black communities and stuff like that mm-hmm. um, which is a phenomenal program and has billions of dollars and does a lot of stuff um, so it's kind of like mm, are you reinventing the wheel a little bit uh, because there's programs already out there like this can you find ways to give these kind of programs more cut more money um but we'll see. Um, and I, one thing I had a kind of a question about the policy is the fact that she was saying that uh, help having people get homes can help them with uh, student loans. Did you see that? Oh, I didn't see that. Uh, I'm trying to find it. She says she says when our kids go to college, whereas other families who own their home and can go into the equity in their home to help pay uh, for their students' tuition, our families have to go to uh, go, and those students have to you know take out loans and interest rates and stuff like that that can perform uh, you know can they can afford to do over a long period of time. Um, and so she's saying they use home ownership. So she's kind of like double trying to double dip in a way to say like access to the home ownership and equity can help them pay their student loans, uh, which I'm not, I think that's a bit of a stretch. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) people shouldn't have to go into the equity in their home to pay off or, you know, to help out with college. Like, uh, so yeah, I don't, I don't like that connection, baby. I don't want to use the equity in my home to pay for, no. Yeah. It's just not a good practice. And, and just because you can qualify for these new type of loans, which I'm sure will, will be great, uh, doesn't mean that you will be able to qualify for other things like other kind of, you know, financial endeavors from banks or whatever else, you know, to just use equity in that manner i don't know it just that that was a a bit of a stretch but i mean you know attacking the concept of housing discrimination is good um but we'll we'll see one more about it my one thing i'm wondering because one and in the policy it says the grantee must have lived for at least the preceding 10 years in a historically red line community that remains low to moderate income and you know mm, I kind of wonder about one. We move around a lot, mm-hmm. as especially our millennial generation. I haven't lived in one place for more than like uh, two or three years, and then two uh, gentrification. A lot of historically red line areas are now uh, areas that uh, a lot of black and brown folk can't even afford anymore. And those were the historically red line communities. So, like, how do they um, take that into account? Yeah, I mean, you're right. That's a big caveat right there. Just the just the time frame of living in the community 10 years. 
no millennials going to be able to, you know, being that like, come on, we move. I'm just thinking of my past 10 years. I'm just turned 32, 22. You know, I've lived everywhere. You know, there's nowhere I've been stable that, that long of a time, you know, I've, different states to two, three, four, four different states, probably in that 10 years. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I wouldn't even be able to qualify if this came about. Right. Um, even if I am currently living in uh, a district that qualifies or community that qualifies, I would be able to get this loan. And so how it's going to help me as well with my student loans, if I wanted to even do that. Uh, I think this would definitely cater towards the older audience. Um, yeah. I see this as like older people who, you know, have been in the area for a while, maybe don't even own the home that maybe they're renting or something like that. But it's it's definitely not for for us. Because I know when I was, whenever I was looking for a place to stay, you know, I might have stayed in a redlined area and not might not have even realized it, but I was just trying to find an apartment. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Oh, man. I even think about just when you're living in uh, Purdue and, you know, how a lot of, you know, I stayed, you know, we stayed in Lafayette, you know, which mm-hmm. is like, and a lot of people like to stay in West Lafayette. And yeah. it's just the, the, the differences between the two were not even that, and as far as distance wise, we're pretty yeah. We're just the, the demographics of each community. You know, was definitely, you can see the differences just across this little bridge, uh, who was where, who wasn't where. I couldn't afford to stay in West Lafayette. Yeah, I'm like, now I'm saving my coin. (laughs) My little stipend can last a little bit longer over here where where the black folk are. (laughs) Um, But okay, so yeah, we'll keep our eyes on on this this Harris uh, housing plan and, and see how it unveils and other people discuss it, but but yeah, these are the things like, you know, Daphne and I continue to do this on this podcast, but we urge you all to do too is when you hear these policy initiatives, look at the fine print, you know, and the main thing, the first step is always just to look for kind of even what Daphne just mentioned, who qualifies. Mm-hmm. Um, and that'll already tell you a lot of kind of you can predict which way this may go, who's going to be left out, who's going to be included, all this kind of stuff. And you know, with that 10 year caveat alone, um, it's pretty interesting. I think. I think it should go towards first time. You want to include millennials, you got to put first time, something in there for first time home buyers. Yeah, um, you do. For sure. Who want to live in these communities or purchase property in certain communities, then that's a way you capture everyone. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> right now, that's a big loophole. Before we move on, I just want to see, did you hear that Joe Biden was like, uh, he would potentially nominate Merrick Garland for the Supreme Court if he's elected president? No, I hear this one. Yes, so he was like, <laughs> "If I'm elected president, I, I'll I'll probably nominate Merrick Garland." Like, dude, that was a a compromise nominee by Obama. We don't want him moving forward. <laughs> like, he needs to be more forward thinking. He's like resting on nostalgia. He's resting mm-hmm. on. He he not he he ain't got his head in the game. He ain't really trying to win this thing. Yeah, I think he just kind of, it seems like he kind of doing it just because he was already coming in in the top spot. And was like, all right, let me go ahead and give it a shot. You don't seem like he put in his homework. Yeah, it was like he's doing his homework and really like (laughs) staying up with his peers. He's just like, I'm going to ride this to see where it takes me. Yeah, I feel the same way uh, because he didn't run last time uh, right after he was VP. And it's just kind of like, and you were polling high. Because that's what it seems like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, we'll see, man. Um, okay, Biden. I mean, and I also think maybe he just, he knows that it's a longer race. And so these first couple of debates, he already knows, like you said, he's already in that third debate. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe he just, I don't know, just throw this out there, maybe just trying to save some stuff for later on, the good stuff for later. Yeah. Because regardless of what he says now, he knows he's going to make it into those later debates. Yeah. Well, if he want to win, he's going to have to be more prepared. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Do your homework, Biden. Do your homework. All right. Um, anything else with politics? I'm trying to look at my No. That 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 was pretty much what I had. Uh I mean, I did see where Trump announced that he'd hold a Make America Great Again rally on the exact same evening that Robert Mueller is expected to provide his testimony. And I'm I'm guessing that testimony will be televised or something. Mm-hmm. Uh Trying to distract away. Yep, yep. that's what he does best. <laughs> yeah. Distract and deflect. Um, all right, so I guess let's go into some... Um, let's talk about... One of the things I want to talk about is like this whole uh, Chris Brown situation. Yeah. I'm sure you're familiar with that. Uh, so for those of you who are not familiar, I I guess, is it just a song or was it an album that was released? I have no idea. It was a Uh, song. There was a lyric. Okay, yeah, I think it's called Indigo. It looks like, yeah. Um, No, there's nothing with the record, Indigo, which clocks around two hours. I think it's coming up. But yeah, it was a song for sure. Anyway, um, on uh, that came out and pretty much there were lyrics on the song where he talked about, um, I I mean, and people... Did you read the lyrics? Uh, I saw the line where it said, I only want the black girls with the good hair or something like that. Yeah, well, he said the black bees, the B word with oh. nice hair. <laughs> only He said he only want to F the black bees with the nice hair. <gasps> and I mean, I was like, <laughs> and so everybody, you know, there's been a lot of backlash on this to him um, about his comment on uh, the nice hair, and, you know, the good hair comments. Uh, some people have said it's um, linked to colorism and other things like that. Uh, but when not me just reading the lyric, I'm like, that one line is problematic in a lot of ways anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but besides just a nice hair comment, but everybody kind of blew past that. Um, but what are your thoughts on, you know, your takeaways from this situation? Um, my takeaways from the situation, well, it was one, it was more so, you know, his reaction because when fans like kind of called him out about it, um, he kind of like doubled down, like only ugly bees are mad. And I don't know. He was saying like a bunch of like little crazy things. Um, I, I, it's just kind of like, but I'm, when it comes to like entertainment and uh, either featureism or colorism, unfortunately it's something that I'm used to. It's kind of like, oh, that's what a lot of black male famous artists do. Uh, They make it publicly known that either, you know, they don't like black women or they don't like dark women. Or I remember a long time ago, like somebody was like, I need my girl to be able to get out of a swimming pool and her hair like flat. So it's like a lot like I feel like it's the mindset that's prevalent in a lot of famous black men. So I wasn't surprised. And I was just kind of like, oh, another one. That that was kind of my reaction. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was. uh... I mean, I didn't, you know, I haven't listened to any Chris Brown's music lately, like newer stuff and stuff like that, besides maybe it was just on the radio. But when it came out um, and I seen the uproar, at first, my best thing, I thought he shouldn't, you know, I was like, 
yeah, this is probably one of the times you should maybe just be quiet, Chris, or just, you know, see how it plays out, let everybody else talk. Um, but the fact that when he started doubling down, like you said, I'm like, oh, boy, this is this is not the best approach, man, mm-hmm. um, because the people are upset. They're upset. Uh, maybe you could come out and be like, you know, you didn't mean it that way or, you know, I don't know. But like he nice definitely... hair could be done here. Like there are a lot of ways. Yes, because he said because he said nice hair. It wasn't, you know, so you're right. It could be it can still be curly, kinky hair that's kept up or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Um, but he like just doubled down. It was just like, you know, and then I seen other celebrities, you know, support him in that way, because the approach you tried to take is like, you know, women have their criteria. You know, you don't want a guy like you don't want a guy with messed up teeth or you know, oh, yeah. a certain way <laughs> and weight. And, you know, and like he's like, you know, and, you know, I mean, everybody has certain things that they like and don't like. And so he was just saying this is one of the things that I like and people are blowing out of proportion. And then other I think I maybe see like T.I., like Lil Duval and other people kind of support that and say the same thing, like, why do men always get um, attacked for putting out their preferences when you hear women do it all the time? Um, so I just find it in- because for me, it's kind of like most of the preferences that cause an uproar among men are generally anti-black and anti-black woman. Yeah. And that is the pattern that's, you know, I, I don't think that it is, well, I'm just a nice person, so I'm not going to go out announcing like, oh, I don't want no short men. Like, I would never say anything like that just because yeah. it's like I, I, that's just not my style. So, I, you know, I can understand like, you know, some men feeling a little bit salty because I, I feel like some women, they do kind of put that out there. Um, I just just find it interesting that it is always something that is anti-black, anti dark, anti whatever when it comes to a man expressing his preferences. And it's just kind of like, to me, it gets old. Like, I I think most of the world knows, most of the black community knows what the preferences are within the black community. I don't necessarily, it's been that way for, you know, since slavery. I don't, I don't really feel like we got to hear it anymore. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm, But that's mm -hmm. just me. like i don't i don't think anyone is confused about what is preferred in the african-american community i i just don't so i don't even know why it has to be said yeah 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 it it shouldn't be said and like i said i don't know i feel like even just the line itself you know only want to f the the black bees with the nice i'm like that's 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 too much right there as it is why i gotta be all that man mm-hmm. <laughs> like that whole line is just one line but you know um there's other ways to approach the issue because then in your post you're trying to t- in your post you're trying to say oh you know black queens and this that and the third but that's not the lyric you use in your song bro yeah. <laughs> you know um so uh you can use a little bit you know be more creative with your with your language and, and be a little more respectful towards the black queens you saw you I, I will say one thing i noticed i used to post on well i used to read this like uh, message board and it was like dominated by men and i noticed that when they talked about black women it was often black bees but they would say white women black bee white women and that like stuck out to me that like well we can't be women too Hey, yeah, why we be these? Uh, I don't know, and I don't, I don't, I don't really get that. But yeah, you're right. Like even without talking about nice hair, I feel like the lyric is problematic. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, and it's and it's like, bro, you got he got a black daughter, don't he? 
Uh, she's, yeah, she, well, Chris Brown, I think he has made comments about like being mixed or something like that. And I know the person that he had a child with, I don't think she's black. So I don't know what he would consider his child, to be honest. Okay. So. I'm like, you're using this language in the songs and at least you have a daughter clearly of color. Of color. Um, yeah, um, yeah. Of color. <laughs> and, um, hearing these kind of lyrics and how you're speaking, I mean, I don't know, man, I feel like there's got to be a kind of switch a little bit, you know, um, when when you're raising a child and, and they're looking up to you and eventually going to hear what you're saying. And then also seeing you double down on lyrics like this, too. Um, I don't know. It's just not a good look in my eyes, but Chris Brown, Chris Brown, always always in the center of some controversy somehow. I know. Also, Matt, I actually used to really be a Chris Brown fan. Uh, but of course, out the whole, you know, Rihanna thing and just like, you know, other things, I just, mm, yeah. And, you know, he's a, he's a great artist, you know, great performer. And because of his controversy, it takes away from a lot of that, his, his brilliance when it comes to making music, you know. Yeah. It's rare that you have a bad Chris Brown song. You know, in a way. yeah, he did use to have them hits. I won't lie. <laughs> yeah, his catalog is pretty good. Um, but yeah, I haven't, you know, I haven't kept up with him. And, you know, not an artist I run to and listen to and buy albums. And I can't even remember, you know, just if I hear it on the radio or something like that or whenever. Yeah. But outside of that, yeah. I'm following him like that. Did you hear that Kanye West might be uh, developing a reality show based on his Sunday church services? Yeah, I did hear about that. Um, and I hear try to do a couple of things. But yeah, one is a reality show. And I think he has some kind of like sci-fi type of show on coming out on Showtime or something like that, that he's producing something strange and, and kind of off-center. Uh, but it looks like he's trying to dibble and dabble more into the TV production world. Yeah, I guess he got to make something stick. Because don't he owe Jay-Z some money? I think he owe Jay-Z some money. Jay-Z could be like... Hey. I, I won't, yeah, at some point... <laughs> I'm sure because Jay-Z be giving a lot of money, but don't be saying nothing. But he don't be like 50, you know, 50. <laughs> like, you only 50, so he ruthless, man. 50, man. That guy is so petty, man. Uh, really... But yeah. Uh, I guess another story, a type of, con- I guess we're talking about controversy. Um, I feel like this shouldn't be a controversy. Oh, no. Uh, but it is. And this is when we talk about Holly Bailey, not Holly Berry, because I know a lot of people was getting confused. <laughs> like, look, it would be nice to see Holly Berry, but she a little, you know, she's she's a little too old for 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 uh, Ariel. She can be Ariel's mom. Well, no, she can't be. <laughs> you get it. Yeah. Um, so from this is Holly Bailey, who from Chloe and Holly, uh, who were on tour opening acts for Beyonce. You know, um, who are musicians and got known from doing. Beyonce covers on YouTube. They also on the show that I watch, Grownish. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, with the, you know they're funny. They do a good job on that show as well. Um, they play twins on the show, but they're not twins. I think they're separated by two years in real life. Mm-hmm, yeah. But 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 Holly Bailey's the younger one, and she has recently been cast to play um, Ariel in the new live action um, Little Mermaid movie that they're going to start producing. I think early twenty twenty or something. Mm-hmm. Like that. Yes. Uh, Social media on uh, both sides of the aisle went wild. There were people who wanted a boycott. There were people celebrating, like, you know, finally. So this was a wild weekend. It it was wild. And um, 
you know, there's been a lot of controversy. For one, I'm excited to see that they are doing a, a black Ariel, right? Um, and at first, I didn't even catch on, right? I'm like, oh, okay. I'm thinking she's just going to voice Ariel. Then I said, hold on, wait. No, that's going to be weird. Yeah. And then they saw start putting out the image. I'm like, oh, wait, no good. She's going to be a black Ariel. I'm like, even better. Um, and so, you know, I'm excited for it. But so many of these, you know, white folk are so mad that we're going to have a black Ariel. And there was even a Facebook group that said, make Ariel white again. Did you see that? Uh, no, but I did see a supposedly Christian uh, Facebook group. Um, it was like Christians for boycotting uh, this Disney movie. Oh, my goodness. That's ridiculous, man. Yeah. Uh, but this Christian group, they were posting posts like, does it make sense to have a race of people who can't swim represent a mermaid? Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, next picture. Uh, real talk. Can she even get her hair wet? Oh, my God. Uh, next post. Do you think Disney's pro- Disney producers asked for a ginger, but the casting director was dyslexic? Think about oh that. What letters are used in ginger? Okay. Wow. Wow. Um, I don't think she's going to be able to brush her hair with a fork this time. So, like, that's a Christian group, y'all. This is wild, man. Like, ah, uh, this is so ugly. Like, the the ugly side of, of human nature is definitely coming out when all they did was just cast a little black girl to play in this oh, role. Man. A mermaid, you know, that's, you know, not even real. We don't even know the races of mermaids. And I'm pretty sure they would not be white. Yeah, actually, actually, so somebody (laughs) posted a tweet and I I looked it up. So Atlantica is an ancient continent and like where it's positioned between, I think it's like between like Brazil and like Africa, baby, they would not be white anyway. (laughs) It was like previously, it was like, you know, like the the ancient formations or something like that. And it's in the area, let's say, formed simultaneously with Nina, including Amazonia, which is like present day South America, the Congo, West African and North Africa. So somebody was like, they're just correcting um, the mistakes of the past, because from where it would be this, she would be a person of color, I believe. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm glad that people actually look into it because that makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, but it's just wild, man. But you know, I'm going to watch it for sure. I'm going to support. And you know, there's been a lot of other um, posts too where people were talking about how come there's only issues when black people play these supposed white, you know, characters. And the thing about it is that the characters that black folks play are already fictional characters. Yeah. Right? Like, this is a mermaid. Is it, you, we have no evidence of a real life Ariel who was white, right? It's not like a, a, a biopic or anything like that. Um, even when uh, you know Rue Amanda uh, yeah. Amanda Stenberg played Rue in the Hunger Games, and Michael B. Jordan as Human Torch um, in uh, Fantastic Four, right? Like these are fictional characters; they can't be changed and not real. But yet, nobody ever says anything when white folks play. Mm-hmm you know, uh, people of color who are actually real. Are, you know? Yeah, real for real, yeah. So I, I'm looking at this list, so I'll name some of them, like Angelina Jolie, who yeah. played in The Mighty Heart, yeah. uh, who was supposed to be a biracial woman. Yeah. Uh, ben Affleck in his famous movie Argo, right, who mm-hmm. played Antonio Mendez, who was clearly 
uh, Latino descent, right? Uh, uh, this guy, Joseph Fiennes, who played my, a white man playing Michael Jackson. Problematic on a lot of ways. Uh, who else we got here? We got oh, everybody pretty much in the cast. You ever watch the, the anime um, The Last Airbender? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so everybody in this movie was white. Uh, when The Last Airbender clearly takes no uh, takes uh, no one is white in The Last Airbender. It's pretty much everyone should be of Asian descent. Uh, Johnny Depp, when he played Tonto, Native American, in The Lone Ranger, mm-hmm. right? Um, oh, everybody talks about Elizabeth Taylor as Cleopatra mm-hmm. was a big one. Um, and so again, this is different because these are actually based off of real people, right? And you're using white characters to portray these people of color in real life, and there was no backlash. Russell Crowe is Noah. Christian Bale is Moses, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal is the Prince of Persia. Like, come on, man. And so it's funny how people pick and choose and want to have an uproar, but yet all these white actors and actresses are playing people of color who are actually real people, and they choose to not make any kind of, you know, noise about that. Yeah. Um, people, y'all can boycott all you want, but we will be filling those seats. <laughs> yes, we will. <laughs> and it's going to be a lot of black girl and black girl magic and support. And I'm probably sure because of this, it'll break some records. Won't, won't be surprised whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But you know what I was thinking about? I don't remember like backlash, like when Brandy plays Cinderella. Although I think that was like a made for TV. But that was like a big thing like when I was yeah. out, like Brandy is Cinderella and I was just like I I don't know I don't I don't but I was also a child so maybe there was backlash I don't know yeah I mean we probably wasn't you know abreast to it as as we are now uh, but I'm sure I mean you got to know there probably was some some white folks mad about yeah. that one I would not be surprised they just went that unscathed but maybe social media wasn't as popular where we couldn't hear it as much as probably mm-hmm. the case but yeah you're right um you know she did play Cinderella and then there was a black Cinderella on Broadway as well. And the bell on Broadway was black. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and they also, people were also talking about how even like, you know, the cartoon series, the little mermaid, um, Ariel had a friend who was a black mermaid on the show as well. Um, so clearly black mermaids exist, y'all. Yes, exactly. So even on the cartoon, <laughs> on the show, they had black mermaids and it was one of Ariel's good friends on the show or whatever. So um, they exist. <laughs> if they existed, they would exist. If they exist. <laughs> Who knows? We don't know. We've never been to the, what do they say? We only explore like 10% of the ocean or something like that. Yeah. The depths. Anyway, uh, I guess furthering this, storyline on black girl magic i guess we now definitely have to talk about mm-hmm. sports yes and and my my new favorite yes <laughs> all this black girl magic yes yes and we're talking about uh, uh cory coco golf yeah um who has just been making headlines she's 15 years old young black queen out here just making magic happen all throughout Wimbledon. Um, And I've really enjoyed watching her. I didn't watch her first match. And after the first match, I heard about it. Oh, well, because she beat Venus. Yeah, she beat Um, Venus. So you didn't see that one. I didn't see that one. So I was like, all right. Um, And then once I saw who she was and she beat Venus, I was like, oh, now I got to watch. And I watched the next two matches after that. And um, I've been I've been excited. I, I mean, this is this is a fun to watch, uh, especially her last match. You check her last match out. Uh, I did not. I just saw the headlines. Yeah. OK, I mean, I watched that entire match and I was like, 
sitting at the edge of my seat because she lost the first set. Then she was down 5-2 in the second set. You know, the, the other girl only had to win her song, only had to win one more game. And, you know, this 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 young black girl came back and won every game and took it to a tiebreaker to win that second set and then came back and won the third set. And I was the youngest um, American or youngest person ever to make it to the sixth round of 16. Which is good. And she faces, you know, this before we're recording this before she plays. Um, uh, what's her name? And uh, what's the what's her name? Uh, she's a former champion. She beat Serena not too long ago. Oh, um, I thought she was actually out. Naomi. Um... No, not Osaka. Not Osaka. Uh, she got she got uh, she got taken out the first round, the first match yeah. this time around. Naomi. Uh, but I can't remember her name. Um, anyway, she's facing her. Um, who is a former champion who beat Serena not too long ago, maybe a year or two ago as well. She's ranked like number seven in the world. So this next match for her is is a is a big, you know, big hill to climb, but I'll definitely be tuning in um, to see what happens and, and celebrating if she wins. But should, even if she loses, this is like more than what could have been expected from a 15-year-old. So yeah, okay. it's been real fun to watch. Congratulations to her. And, you know, people were mentioning how it's so amazing because she was literally able to grow up her entire life seeing black girl magic in this particular sports field and you, that's important like she knew she could do it because she had been able to see this her entire life so mm-hmm. and um she'll be facing simona Halep is the name i had to look it up really quickly oh, okay. simona Halep. so we'll be tuning in for that um and you know 15 years old and it's good to see you know her, her both her parents are there her brothers are watching because her dad owns like a little bar restaurant and everybody at home uh, was watching that and and celebrating as she won and came back and and I like her confidence. I can really tell her parents did a good job and instilling confidence in her because in her interviews, you know, she was like on the on court one and then that was her last match it was her first match in the center court and she she said something to the likes of you know people thought court one was my court but now maybe center court will be my court. I'm like okay you go ahead, oh, okay. <laughs> you go ahead, you know. But she what I, what I like about her because I've seen young girls play before. 15, 16 years come up, but she just has already this the the heart of a champion, if you will, like that um that maturity on the court. Mm-hmm. Because if anybody else, even most professionals, if you're down five two in the second set in this match point and you gotta win every game, most people would have given up. You know, like, all right, this isn't my match. But she fought to almost impossible odds to come back and win that match. I mean, that shows some real grit and grind and heart, like the intangibles. Like, she definitely has the physical bit, but she has those intangibles, which I really credit. It seems like her parents really instilled that on her, that confidence. Same to, like, the the Serena Williams, the Williams sisters and their – their dad and their parents really instilled that confidence in them. Like, listen, no matter who you play, you got this. Mm -hmm. You know, she really embodies that, so. Go ahead, Coco. Go ahead, Coco. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So uh, while we're still on sports really quickly, I do want to just mention this whole Kawhi Leonard situation. Um, It has been fascinating to watch this guy at work uh, because, you know, he won a championship with Toronto. So biggest free agent out there. Everyone's trying to figure out where he's going to land. He took his time. But eventually, if you don't know, he wound up going to the Los Angeles Clippers, who out of the three teams is going to be Toronto, the Lakers, or the Clippers. The Clippers had the least chance to get him because they didn't have any other stars. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what we come to find out is that Kawhi wanted to go there the whole time. And what he did was he bought time and made the Lakers wait, made Toronto wait, so that way he can get the time to get, make 
or buy time to make Clippers bring in somebody like Paul George. Mm. Initially, he tried to bring Kevin Durant over. Kevin Durant was like, nah, I'm good. He called Paul George. Paul George took interest, went to OKC front office and was like, listen, y'all gotta get me out of here, but we need some time. And so that's what he did. He bought the time and he essentially played the Lakers in Toronto in a way. Um, and of course, OKC, because now Westbrook is mad because now he has nobody. So he's about to leave. Mm. Uh, but it's really, it's really interesting how he just, manipulated everything to get what he wanted at the end to play with the Clippers. Now with another budding superstar in uh, Paul George. And so naturally, you know, teams are going to be coming for him now. It's going to be a very next interesting, a next season, interesting season to watch next season. Um, but, you know, a lot of people are comparing him to Thanos <laughs> because he restored order to the NBA because, you know, he was the team that knocked out um, uh, LeBron. And then when he was on the Spurs, mm. right, the Heat, then LeBron left and then went to Cleveland. Then he came out and took out Golden State and now KD left, right? And then LeBron and everybody was like, oh, come be a super team. And he's like, nah, I'm going to get my own player and play the Clippers against you in LA. And so now like there's, there is this balance now in the NBA where there's no more super teams. You know, there's no more than like two superstars on each team and everybody's saying, you know, this has to do because of Kawhi <laughs> snapping his fingers. That's good. Cause I, I was honestly, I'm not going to pretend like I would watch a whole season of basketball, but I, I would watch basketball, but I've been bored. Like I, this is like the first year in like years that I didn't even pay attention to the. Although there were two different teams, but it was just like I, I was just I was bored. I've been bored with basketball, so. Yeah, because I mean, every year you already knew who was going to make it. You knew Golden State and a LeBron team besides this year uh, was always going to be in the championships, mm -hmm. you know. And so and LeBron was there eight, nine years in a row. Um, so it was always predictable. And that's not fun. And now it's like the wild, wild west. You don't know who's coming out of each conference. You don't know who's going to make it to the finals. So it'll definitely be fun to watch this season for sure. That is um, good. So I, kudos to Kawhi bringing us back. I think teams were so lame, though, trying to get all superstars on one team to build a Yeah, team. that's you lame. Can't, that's you lame. can't get a ring no other way? Okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> so we'll be interested to see what KD does now um, because that was his big gripe. Even though he has these championships, he's – upset because people were not respecting them because he already joined a championship team you mm -hmm. know so now he will see if you win with brooklyn nobody can say anything to you anymore um, so i know he's gonna be working hard whenever he gets back but he'll be out all next season anyway yeah but it'll be funny if Kawhi wins again on the third team you know just like every team he touches turns to gold uh but they are actually favored right now as a team to win mm, okay uh, this year upcoming year you know the betting odds and all that stuff um all right, so one of my last stories I have is this uh, interesting story. There's this Afro Future Fest that is happening. I don't know where it's happening. I think Detroit. Uh, Detroit, yeah, I was about to say, I think in the Midwest somewhere. And one of the reasons this has made headlines is because they are <laughs> charging tickets. Uh, the tickets are more expensive for white folk and people of color get a discount ticket. Yeah. I think it's like $10 for people of color and $20 for white people. Yeah. Yeah. So it has been, you know, getting headlines. I think who people are backed out of this uh, because of this. Yes. I'm so sure. um, there was a rapper, um, Tiny Jag. Never heard of her. Um, Never heard of her. But I ain't going to hate. But yeah. so uh, the controversy uh, is started because she took it to Twitter. She is mixed race, uh, black and white. Uh, okay. I'll and uh, I guess a friend of hers, a white friend, uh, 
kind of brought it to her attention, like, hey, they're charging me $20 and, you know, charging the people of color $10. And, you know, when she brought it to like the festival uh, coordinators, they were like, hey, this is the way we do things around here. Like it's about equity. And I think they even have like a whole spiel on their um, like ticket website to say like, this is about equity. Uh, Equality means treating everyone the same. uh, And that historically, you know, communities of color have been displaced uh, by some of these big entertainment events or they've been priced out of them. So we want to be equitable and ensure that like this uh, event benefits and is accessible to people of color. And so that's actually on like the Eventbrite thing. And she did not agree with that because she's like, you know, half of my family would have to pay more. And, uh, you know, she feels like they're kind of like discriminated against half of her, half of who she is. So, you know. Yeah. yeah you're right. I'm looking at it right now talking about they, they do have the they do have a dis- um not disclaimer, but description as far as why they're charging more. And they're just talking about the difference between equality and equity. And so this is one of the ways that they try to practice it, you know, which does breathe good conversation in a lot of ways <laughs> <laughs> as far as why they're doing it. Uh, but, you know, even just looking at the description of the festival itself, uh, you know, it's just in the Afro Future Youth Fest activating the land with um, with eyes open to metaphysical travel, <laughs> <laughs> a home for arts, healing and adornment activations, um, drum circles, bonfire to awaken space with spirits and co-creation with community leaders. It's like, it definitely seemed like, you know, super kind of futuristic. And black. Yeah, black, futuristic and black hippie type vibes. <laughs> uh, so it's funny, it's interesting. But, you know, hey, this is free free publicity. I'm sure um, they got a lot more ticket sales because of this. Yeah, because of it. And it was interesting. They said affording joy and pleasure is unfortunately still a privilege in our society uh, for POC or people of color. So it's a and sometimes when we do it, we get the popo caught on that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> say, hey, white folks, if you want to be here, you really want to be here. Yeah, that's kind of the message is sending, um, you know, which is interesting. You know, uh, I don't think I feel either way about it, you know, because I but I know if it was reversed and see white folks and charge people of color more, it'd be a whole big old thing. But uh, you know, it's, their, it's their it's their space and that's what they want to do. Let it fly for now. But um, yeah, I mean, some people are bringing up like, is that legal? Is it? I, and I, I actually don't know. Lawyer friends, you know, email us. Let us know, <laughs> let us know what they're doing is legal, <laughs> um, because, yeah, it does seem like. Uh, maybe borderline like racial discriminatory practices, right? Like you're intentionally charging a different race or folks because of the color of their skin, a higher rate. Um, but it's also, how do you, how do you, if you're buying a ticket online, how would you know? Like if I'm a white person, like, can I just purchase a person of color ticket? Yeah, that's where I have. How are they, yeah. how are they enforcing that? that too. Cause I, I won't lie. I'll be like, I'm just going to, uh, <laughs> I mean, but you're right. Also, if you're like biracial, as we've had people on this podcast who are white presenting or white looking, right? Yeah. Uh, and they're looking at you, and you go in there for person of color ticket, and they're like, "No, you're white. How'd you get this ticket? Uh, are they enforcing? Or they just have a trust a trust system? And like, you know, buy what you if you buy into this 
you know, support in this way. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's interesting. <laughs> like, I feel like unless they send out like wristbands, uh, like before the festival, so like Lollapalooza, which we just got our wrist uh, or you know, wristbands in the mail. So it's kind of mm-hmm. like unless they're going to do different color wristbands and send them ahead of time, like I, I don't know how they would be able to enforce it. So. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, and uh, I guess closing out, funny stories with uh, with Big Frida. You hear about her with Ben and Jerry's? Mm-mm, what happened? <laughs> Big Frida. Big Frida is kind of is going to have a limited edition ice cream oh, wow. uh, that's called uh, Big Booty Beignet. Oh wow! Ice cream. <laughs> Shout out to Ben and Jerry's, man. Ben and Jerry's always supporting the uh, you know people of color. Yeah, it's always yeah. funny. Um, and they have so. the craziest uh, flavors. They do. They be having wild flavors. Um, I enjoy the ice cream and trying out the new flavor. So, so I'll definitely, if it's in the stores, I'll definitely try some big booty beignets, man. Just make sure it got a cover over it. Yeah, you know, definitely. Yeah. Your ice cream. Man, I told my wife, once I saw her do that, I'm like, yo, I, I mean, most of the ice cream I buy anyway has it, but I'm like, I'm definitely like double checking that from now on. Yeah. That's, that's just nasty. <laughs> and I'm sure other teens have like, I'm surprised it wasn't like a challenge or something, you know, with this this generation. Yeah, I'm happy because I could have seen that turning turning into a challenge, and I'm happy it did mm-hmm. not. Yeah, for sure. Um, but all right, that's all I got. Anything from anything else on your end? We got everything. Uh, I think we got everything. It was a lot going on, but yeah, um, a lot going on. I think we were able to cover it in a decent amount of time. Nice, nice. Well, um, as always, you know, if you haven't yet, follow us on social media at BHD Podcast. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Um, you can always visit our website, blackandhollydangerous.com, to keep up with all our latest content. You can also email us at bhdpodcast at gmail.com. Any questions you have, guests you think we should reach out to, topics you think we should cover, we're always responsive and we're always looking to help, um, you know, get get people involved with this process. Um, you can also, if you have it, review and rate us on iTunes. That helps us out a lot. So please, please take some time to do that if you haven't did that yet, right after uh, this episode airs. And then um, also share us with your friends, share us with your family, and share us with your enemies. And as always, continue to be the oppressor's worst fear. If you're interested in continuing this and other conversations, visit our website, blackandhollydangerous.com to subscribe to our email list, suggest topics, and participate in our discussion forums. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at BHD Podcast. And please don't forget to subscribe and rate our podcast on your favorite platform. And as always, continue to be the oppressor's worst fear.